Yes, we do conclude our series, Why, today in worship, and I hope it's been a helpful series to you. would remind you that there is a devotional guide and the bulletin provided for you each and every week, and there is, of course, one in there this week. Uh, today's, or this week's uh, text in the devotional guide is a, is a supplemental scripture passage. I'll be preaching on a different passage this morning, but it goes along with a the theme, and I believe it will be helpful. So you can use that individually as you reflect on your faith and the theme of today's message, or you can use it in small groups, and we already have groups in the church that have chosen to use that devotional guide, and it's been helpful. So we want to lift that up to you. Let us be an attitude of prayer together. Eternal God, we do thank you for the gift of another Sunday to be guided by your Spirit and centered in you. The world pulls us in all kinds of directions, Lord, and we need this hour, we need this time in this very special church, the fellowship, Lord, the prayers, your presence most of all, to guide us. We need a center that will hold. So, Lord, at this very special moment, at this very special occasion, you have given me the humble, humbling responsibility of preaching your word to these, my friends, and your servants, Lord. A task always needs your strength in order to do. So, Lord, speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, today's question, the last of the series, is why is more never enough? But today I'm going to answer that question by going through a side door. I'd like to seek to answer that question and address that question by lifting up another question, perhaps a bigger question, and that is, what is God really like? What is God really like? I think most of us want to know the answer to that question, and it's an important question. Because most people base their lives and their faith on the answer to that question. Some people believe God is a mean and angry judge trying to catch them in the act. And so their entire lives is about running from God. Some people believe that God is some divine accountant tallying up the good points and the bad points based upon whether or not they're going to get into heaven. And so their lives really is about religion and following rules. Some people just simply believe there is some deity that, that got this world going, but this deity has better things to do than be involved with humanity. And so religion and faith to them is simply irrelevant. But what is God really like? Maybe you've struggled with that question. Maybe there are some of you in worship this morning and you have an issue with church and and faith, because as you were growing up, God was always presented as some mean or boring or angry person. Or maybe you believe in some kind of higher power, but the question for you is, what is this higher power up to? And what does this higher power want from you? What does this higher power think of you? Maybe it's a struggle for you, and maybe some of you are carrying around some guilt and shame. And honestly, you really wonder what this God thinks about what you've done and who you are and your life. Or maybe you're someone, you've grown up in church your entire life, but you seem to have received mixed messages about this God. Who is this God really? Well, back in Jesus' day, there was the same burning question. 
That's why flocks of people would follow Jesus to hear Him teach and preach. Why is that? Because Jesus, as He taught and preached, was revealing what God is really like. Was revealing who God really is. And one of the best ways that Jesus did this was by telling the parable of the prodigal son. Now the Bible does not get any better than Luke chapter 15. you got the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. One could argue it's one of the greatest stories, not just in scripture, but in all of literature, books and poems and art and movies and songs have been based upon this parable, which is only 20 verses long. Even non-religious people are drawn to this story. And love this story. Why is that? Well, one of the big reasons is this story reveals what God is really like. So this morning, I want to dive a little deeper into this particular parable. Now, I know some of you have heard about this parable. You've read it before. You've heard about it a lot. But maybe there are some things in this parable you haven't caught before. So I want to dive right into it. The big reason why Jesus told this parable... The context of this parable was this. Jesus overheard his critics, the religious critics, talking about the people that Jesus was hanging out with. They were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with what they called riffraff. Unsavory people. These were critics who had a narrow-minded, misguided understanding of who God really is. And so Jesus basically said, well, you think God only cares about you? And your small religious system? You don't think God cares about anybody else? Let me tell you a story. And that's when Jesus begins in verse 11. Take a look. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. That really means he had a very, very good time, and the things he did we can't really talk about in the pulpit. That's what that means. Now, the father in the story is God, okay? I want you to pay attention to that. The father in the story is God, so pay attention to what the father does in the story. The father had two sons. And as the story says, the younger son, well, he was tired of living at home. He thought he could live a better life. He was tired of all of his duties at home and everything he had to do. So he said, Dad, I want to get the heck out of here. Give me my inheritance early. I want to have a good time. I don't want to be tied at home. Just give me what I want so I can get out of here. You see, the son thought life would be better without the father. The son wanted the blessings of the Father without a relationship with the Father. Ever been in a relationship where you felt used? Ever been in a relationship where you know the person was trying to get close to you just because of what you could offer them? Maybe it was money or a connection to another person or some kind of resource. Maybe it was a coworker or or a family member or a so-called friend. And you knew the only reason why they were being nice to you, the only reason why they wanted to connect to you, is because they wanted something from you. How did that make you feel? 
used, right? Unappreciated? Well, let me tell you this. I honestly believe that that's how God feels when we seek His blessings without Him. But here's the amazing thing about God. God does not force Himself on us. Doesn't force a relationship with Him. He gives us free will. Take a look at the story. Did you notice? The Father did not try to stop the Son. As much as the Father wanted the Son to stay home and to be with Him, the Father did not stop Him and gave Him what He wanted. So the younger son, he goes off. He goes to Las Vegas. doesn't say it, but he's probably stayed at the Bellagio Hotel and had a great time. And he said, the world is my oyster. I can do anything I want. Look at all the money I have. Look at all that I could do. Think of all that I could do in this dissolute living. But then let's take a look at what happened next. Verse 14. When he had spent everything. (laughs) He spent all the money. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And take a look. Who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself, look at this, with the pies that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. The party was over. The sun hit rock bottom. He ran out of money and found himself working with pigs and the slop of pigs. Now, just by itself to anybody, that'd be awful. But remember, this person was Jewish. And to Jewish people, pigs were very, very unclean. That's how desperate he had become. That's how desperate he was. Eating with the pigs and being there cold and hungry, laying with pigs. He began to understand that life without the Father was not what it was cracked up to be. The vision he had in his mind of life without the Father. Well... Just didn't measure up. Sin always looks better before we do it than after we do it. Amen? Life without the Father is not as exciting as people think it's going to be. Running away from God is not as exciting as people think it's going to be. I remember when I was about eight years old, I ran away from home. You know, I thought... I heard about a, a friend that had done it. I thought, maybe I'll do it. I'm going to run away. You know, I can be free in my eight-year-old mind, whatever that meant. And so I got my backpack and I filled it with, with snacks. I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Snacks and a sandwich. And I put toys in that backpack and put a folder with some papers to draw on and to write and I got it all together and I ran away to a creek, probably about a half a mile away from the house. And I sat on the rock and began to eat my sandwich. Never forget this. Eight years old. And I thought, maybe I'll draw something. I'm getting bored. So I took out my folder and out fell a picture of my mom and dad. And as an eight-year-old boy, I remember looking at that picture and thinking, I kind of like my mom and dad. I don't want to be away from my mom and dad. I love my mom and dad. 
And so I began to get terrified of what it was like, half a mile away from home, being away from my parents. So I ran back home, and I ran, and I ran, and I went through the kitchen door, and there was my mom in the kitchen, and I held her tight, and I looked at the clock, and I'd been gone for 30 minutes. I hadn't even been missed. Sooner or later in life, we come to the place where we realize We need more than the blessings of the Father. We need the Father Himself. Amen. Sooner or later in life, we come to the place where we realize that we not only need what has been created, we need the Creator of life. Sooner or later in life, we will realize that what really matters in life is love and relationship. You know, in AA, they call it a moment of clarity. Some like to call it a conversion experience. Other traditions like to call it being born again. But it's all the same experience. It's getting to the place in your life where you realize that success is not cutting it anymore. Power is not cutting it anymore. Money is not cutting it anymore. Prestige is not cutting it anymore. Trips are not cutting it anymore. The only thing that will satisfy is a loving relationship with the Father. Love and companionship with the Father. Jesus put it this way in the context of the parable. I love this. He said, He came to Himself. The young son came to the realization that he needed the Father in his life. And I I bet that there are some of you in worship today that are in that place. You realize how empty your life has become without God in it. And you realize there aren't enough trips. There aren't enough ball games. There isn't enough money. There aren't enough cars and boats and escapades that will fill that hole in your life. Because I tell you this, church, there is a hunger, there is a craving in every human heart for God. And the only way we're going to be satisfied and whole is by having God fill that hole in our lives. Augustine put it beautifully, didn't he? He said, you have created us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You see, all the questions of this series, why? What's behind all these questions is a hunger and is a desire to be connected to God. To be in relationship with God. The younger son came to this realization. Look what happened next. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up. And I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. That's how desperate the son had become. He just wanted to be a hired hand. He knew in his heart that his father wouldn't receive him again. In fact, back in Jesus' day, if a true son had done what that kid did, He would have been disowned by the family. And so the son, he just wanted to be a servant of his father. Not part of the family, just to be a servant. Just to be home. You know what I've learned? 
There are many people who delay coming back to God or the church or the faith or don't do it at all because they have the mentality of this son. They think if they do, after all they've done, that God is going to make them be a slave to him. A servant. And punish him. I've come across people in ministry who really think that. They, they are reluctant to come back to God and the church because they think when they do, they're just going to be miserable and reminded all the time of the bad things that they did. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you barely made it to worship because you were worried this morning. And maybe it's been a while that if you come back to God, that God is going to make you feel miserable. Do you really think that's what God is like? Let's allow Jesus to tell us what God is like. You ready? Verse 20. This is beautiful. So he set off and went to his father. Look at this. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Did you see what the father did? Every day he'd been looking for his son. Every day he'd been looking at the end of the driveway to see if his son was going to come home. Waiting Every day he'd look out the kitchen window as he had his morning coffee, hoping and waiting his son would return. And when that day came, did you see what it said in the story? The father ran to the boy. Back then fathers didn't run. It was considered undignified, yet the father ran to his son and put his arms around him and kissed him. And kissed him. Then the son began his apology speech. But notice what happens when he starts apologizing. Verse 21. Then then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him and said, Quickly, bring out a robe. I love this. The best one. And put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Did you see that? As soon as the son tried to apologize, the father said, shh, call the band. Call the caterer. Get the fatted calf. Get out the china. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. What is God like? Who is God really? God is your loving creator who is relentlessly in love with you. Who never stops loving you. God is a God who is relentlessly in love with all of us and always welcomes us home. That's who God is. So here is Jesus' invitation to us today. It comes in... Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Look at this. If you are tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me. And I will give you, what does it say? Rest. And you know what I love about that invitation? It says the exact opposite of what people think God is going to say. Many people think God is going to say, come to me and I'll give you rules. 
Come to me and I'll give you restrictions. Come to me and I'll give you regulations. Come to me and I'll give you religion. What does it say? Come to me and I will give you rest. Regardless of what you've heard, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's not something that confines you. It's something that sets you free. It's not something that burdens you. It's something that empowers you. Now, I don't know what you think of God, and I don't know how you grew up religiously or what church you grew up in or the kind of theology you were exposed to, but I do know this. God loves you, and God does not want to put more burdens on you. God wants to fill that hole in your life and make you whole. The parable proves it. No, 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 scratch that. Jesus Christ proved it on the cross by dying for you and me. Now, many years ago, this is a true story, a man was was kidnapped. A man of some means was kidnapped. And the the kidnappers called the wife and demanded a $100,000 ransom. Well, she talked them down to $30,000. Well, the the story ended well. The the man was uh, rescued and they recovered the money and the man was unharmed and they arrested the kidnappers. But I've often thought, can you imagine the conversation that took place between the husband and the wife after that? Could you imagine that? Seriously, honey? You talked them down to $30,000? Or, or what about the conversation with the wife and the kidnappers? $100,000 for that? Have you seen that gut? $30,000 is my final offer. You know, I don't know who you relate to in that story. But I, I relate, of course, to the man, the husband. Because I'd like to think that if I was kidnapped, that people would spare no expense to getting me back. They wouldn't haggle over the price. They wouldn't try to talk the people down to a cheaper price. They would say, I'll do anything. I'll do everything. I'll do anything you want. To get him back. Jesus Christ did. For every single one of us. But what he did on the cross. This is what scripture says. You have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. Be free now from all these earthly prides and fears. Let me tell you, there is nothing that you can do or nothing you have done that will make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You are loved. Come home. It's time to come home to the only thing that will satisfy. And this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray.
Eternal God, we thank you for this remarkable story that you told us when you were in the flesh here on earth. Oh, Lord, help us to see the love, your love, your relentless, welcoming love. Lord, help us never to forget it. And Lord, I I pray for those who are here who are ready to make that decision to come back to God. And I, I pray that they would open their heart today and say, Lord God, Oh, Lord, I need you. Come into my heart again anew. I surrender my life to you. Oh, Lord, I need the abundant life, the wholeness that you came to give. I need that living water because I'm thirsty. Fill me up, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We hope it's been a time of inspiration uh, for all of you. Receive this benediction. And now may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ go with you and sustain you both now and forevermore. Amen.